Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adoption Hacks. I'm your host, Candace Laycock. I'm so happy to be here with you today. Before we get into our amazing interview, I want to tell you about an ongoing contest we have. This contest is to win an adoption triad keychain from the Pink Panda Company. All you have to do to win, it's so simple, is go to iTunes, go to Adoption Hacks on iTunes, give us five stars and write a quick review. It can be one sentence long. Um but make sure it has five stars with it. That's all you have to do to enter. And to let us know that you entered, either screenshot that and email it or DM it to us, or just include your Instagram handle in the actual review, and then we'll be able to find you. Um, So one lucky winner who does a review will win each week that we do this. It's pretty cool. So go ahead and do that while you're listening. If you already gave us a review on iTunes, or you don't use iTunes to do, listen to podcasts, you can still enter by doing the same exact thing on Facebook. Just give us a review and let us know that you did. And then you get to win this super cute adoption triad keychain. It's that easy. That's all you have to do. Go ahead and enter to win now. Now onto our interview. Today we have just a hero in the community, someone that is so esteemed and beloved, Adrian Collins. Adrian Collins' story is covers everything in adoption and her perspective as a birth mother, as an adoptive mother, is just incredible. So we can't we didn't even get to share all of her story in this podcast. We have to have her back on. But we talk in this episode about making peace with the decisions that you've made. Uh, I think it's so important to um, so many of us who are in this adoption world. There's a lot of tricky decisions you have to make um, and some can leave you questioning yourself. And so Adrian just gives us some words of wisdom to go through that um, with peace. If you know who Adrian is, you already love her. Anytime I mention her name in an adoption circle, you always have at least a couple people saying, oh, she's the best. So such an honor to have her on the show this week. We'll definitely have her back on. Uh, but enjoy this episode of hearing her story and some of her wisdom. All right, welcome, Adrian, to Adoption Hacks. It's so good to have you on today's show. Thank you. It's so great to be here. So, Adrian, you have such an incredible story that is just so impactful for every piece of the adoption triad, and it's it's just wonderful to have you on the show and to share your story and to share um, just lessons that you have learned along the way and that you can share with our listeners today. Well, it, this is just such a privilege to be able to come on and, and speak to yeah, the different sides of adoption. There are so many and they're so complex, but I think the more that we share and the more um, educated that we all are, um, it really helps just the community as a whole. And so I'm just really excited to be here and share what I've learned and um, speak to that. So can you um, just share with us, Adrian, a little bit of your story? Absolutely. I think for me, the best place to start is back in college. And um, when I was a junior in college, I learned that I was pregnant. I was an RA at a Christian school. I was an editor of a newspaper. I was in leadership roles all around campus. And at the time, I was just terrified, Um, not only to lose my role, but I was terrified to be looked down upon by the community. And 
I didn't know what to do or how to handle the pressures that were all around me. And, and, and again, I'd always dreamed of being a mom. It was something that I've always had in the back of my mind. I was with somebody that I loved and would be my future husband one day. But I could not provide the kind of life that I felt my baby deserved. And I often say the most expensive thing I owned at the time was my purse. It was probably true. I, I wrestled with this decision. I went back and forth for months and months. I was in denial. But in the end, I really felt that it would be in the best interest of my daughter, but myself to make an adoption plan for her. And I had this incredible fear, you know, in making that and that people would think I was a monster or just a terrible mom. I mean, lazy, unloving, irresponsible, um, someone who abandoned their child. And that was something that I was, I carried for a long time. And I really had to go back and say, you know, I'm not doing this because I'm irresponsible. I'm doing this because I want the best thing for my daughter. I truly want to give her the life I couldn't provide because I wanted the best for her. And that was the time of, mm-hmm. of life that I was in. I didn't feel prepared to be the parent she deserved. So we, you know, we met with adop- her adoptive parents probably like I was probably about eight or nine months pregnant was when I was really at the point where I'm like, I've got to make a decision. And, and it was heart-wrenching it was hard to realize that I wouldn't be raising her that I was going to be um, giving her to another set of parents to raise it was just I mean those feelings of wanting something so badly but knowing that it's in the best interest for someone else to do that at that time is just a heartbreaking choice and but I knew it was the best I kept that in the back of my mind um even the moment I entered the hospital and you know going through that I just I just kept thinking I have to do what's best for her I have to provide for her what I can't right now and so leaving the hospital without my little girl was to this day, the single hardest thing that I've ever done. Mm -hmm. And again, I had to hold on to this foundation that my reason, what, what was my reason for making an adoption plan? And, and, and just because I had that reason and I knew it was the best thing doesn't mean there wasn't incredible grief that followed. And I really had to sit in that grief for months and months and months. And I, you know, you can't run away from it. I couldn't pretend it wasn't there. I couldn't fill it with distractions, although I tried. Um, I had to understand that loss, what it meant to me, how it changed me, how it changed my perspective as a mom and the values that I had as a mother. But I also clung to hope that I would see my daughter when the time was right. Did you have any support during that time from the adoption agency or you know, people reaching in to help you through that time? I definitely found support in the adoption agency. And and again, I didn't reach out to them probably. I mean, it was probably eight or nine months along when I felt really able to have that conversation. And when I reached out to them, they were 
a small agency in Colorado and they, and I had this amazing social worker and she really was an angel. She really just sat next to me, listened to my fears, listened to me talk about what I wanted, um, for my daughter, what kind of plan I wanted to make, what my hospital plan would look like. And we wrote that out and she, she was an amazing support for me personally. My parents were also an amazing support. They, they weren't trying to persuade me in one direction or another, um, which was when, you know, looking back now, I'm incredibly grateful for that. At the time, you know, there was Mm -hmm. a time I wish they would have swooped in and said, hey, you know, we'll adopt her for you. We'll take care of her until you're ready. And I'm really Mm -hmm. glad they didn't do that. Um, I think that would have been a really hard situation for them to put them in at that, you know, for them, I know it, it had, I've heard it worked mm-hmm. for some families, but for them, I knew that wasn't the right choice. And so they really just sat back and said, we'll be here for you, um, but we're going to let you walk through this. And But they were an incredible support during that time. There was no guilt or shame from them. It was, I just knew it was difficult for them to watch me go through that process, that mourning and that sadness. Um, but they mm-hmm. did kind of walk me through that. My boyfriend at mm-hmm. the time was also supportive but he wasn't in the same state that I was so we had been dating long distance and that um you know you can it it was it was a lonely time incredibly lonely Mm -hmm. in that aspect that he kind of was removed from the situation and didn't kind of watch me walk through that lonely period in college where I had hid my pregnancy for months for fear of being kicked out of school. And so there was a lot of that that I, that I was on my own for. But once I was closer to my due date, I really surrounded myself with people that could walk me through that time. It doesn't mean it was difficult or hard. It was just I surrounded myself with mostly just my parents, my adoption counselor, and my boyfriend, who we um, were able to spend time over the summer. Did you know if you wanted an open or closed adoption? How did you de- make that decision? You know, that's a great question. At the time, a we had a semi-closed adoption, and I don't remember, honestly, if the movement of open adoption was as prevalent as far as lots of visitations and lots of, you know, communication, interaction. It was mostly we, I asked to have some communication and we agreed on three years of letters every three months and pictures and the exchange of contact information. And that, I mean, that was something that was presented to me. I didn't have a lot of education at the time of what else would be available. I knew closed adoption. I knew I wasn't, I knew I didn't want a totally closed adoption. I knew I wanted to have letters and pictures. Yeah. But honestly, if open adoption had been an option, I don't know if that would have been healthy for me. And when I say that, I, I would not have been prepared emotionally to have visitation. Um, I, I wouldn't have been prepared emotionally to come to someone else's home every couple months and watch another set of parents um, really parent my child. I think that would have been devastating. I think it would have been 
a blocker to my personal healing, not to say that happens to everybody, but for me, I needed some distance to be able to heal emotionally and kind of reestablish myself and hold my head high. It, it just took a long time for me to be able to do that. So I think that that having the option of letters and pictures uh, worked out well for me. Even the fact when I did get pictures and letters, letters it, it left me on the floor crying for days. And it was just that alone was heartbreaking enough. And I can't imagine being in someone's home watching that them, you know, carry and love and put them to bed. It just, for me, I just needed more time to heal. So I was really pleased with the semi closed or semi open. I don't know which, um, the name was, but I was really pleased with that plan and how it worked out for me. It gave me enough time, enough distance to heal Mm. and really to, you know, hold my head up and be able to, um, move forward. After that, um, what was sort of next in your in your life? Well, after we'd made an adoption plan, I ended up marrying my high school sweetheart and birth father to my daughter, and we gave birth to three boys. And years later, um, you know, I always thought about my daughter. I always wondered how she was doing because after those three years of letters, um, I did we did not have further communication at that point. And I took a step of faith and volunteered as a mentor to birth moms because I really wanted to walk beside them in their journey and answer any questions I could and offer a shoulder to cry on. And even though I had support from my adoption agency and social worker, I didn't feel like I had anyone to kind of walk alongside me and really tell me what that process was like as a birth mom. Mm-hmm. And I really found this importance of mentoring um, and starting small, just one-on-one, just you know, reaching out to someone and holding their hand and just listening to their story and telling them, you know, I get it. This is what it's, this, I'm here for you. And this is what it's like. I mean, this is really what it's like to sit in that hospital room and give birth and, and know that you have 48 hours or, or however many hours until you have to say goodbye and what that process is really like. So I really felt like that was something I wanted to do for others. And it was, there was a time when a family friend had encountered an unexpected pregnancy and she was kind of asking if I would mentor her and talk to her about the process. And so we met for coffee for several times and one meeting she looked at me and said, you know, would you consider being the adoptive parents for my child? And I was so taken aback. I, we'd always wanted a fourth child and I just didn't know this would be part of our journey. And so I just became so thrilled. I said yes right away. And I didn't even ask my husband if that would be okay. But luckily, um, he was so on board and he was, he he told me I had a feeling this was going to happen and I didn't even know that was going to be the case. But we said yes. And she was about six months pregnant at the time. So we had, you know, just a couple months to prepare. And, you know, since I was a birth mom, I thought, oh, I'm going to, 
be a great adoptive mom. I'm going to know everything there is to know about being an adoptive mom. And I'm going to just fit that, you know, fit that like a glove. And it's going to come all, I mean, it's just going to be natural. And it wasn't, I mean, all these feelings all of a sudden of being a birth mom came flooding back at first before she'd given birth. And I had feelings of loss and heartache and just overwhelmed with sadness and loss for her. And so a lot of the things that I thought I had processed years earlier just came rushing back. And so I real, you know, I kind of realized that grief doesn't just, you can work through it, but it doesn't just, it's not erased. It yeah. bubbles up, it comes up and there's times in our life where things are triggered and we do have to work through these things again. But I was overcome with not just loss, but fear. And the fear really was, you know, how can I love an adopted child the same as my biological children? I mean, that was something I just couldn't fathom and wrestle. I wrestled with, um, I was afraid that, that I'd be a disappointment to her, that I couldn't measure up the way that she would or meet her expectations. I had all these fears about it and really wrestled. I really didn't speak about it a lot. I really kept that inside, which wasn't the healthiest choice, but I kind of kept that inside. And then when she gave birth and called me to come to the hospital, I came alone and then my husband and boys were going to come later because we were living out of state at that time. And I remember just like knocking on the door to our hospital room and feeling like I didn't want the door to open. I was afraid for anyone to answer the door and let me inside. I was afraid they'd all see that I was terrified. And I put on this big fake smile and you know, just looked at him like, oh my goodness, I hope I can be the mom that you need me to be. Mm. And I put so much expectation on myself that I had to be this perfect adoptive mom that I didn't allow myself to have these questions and doubts and fears and know that that was okay. So I really really struggled for a while. Um, that bond didn't happen immediately like I hoped it would. And I think the reason it didn't is one, because I had all these fears and expectations that I just spoke about and that I wouldn't allow myself to just let, let that bond take place organically and naturally. I just expected to happen right away. And if it didn't, I just felt like a complete failure. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I, I kept so much inside that no one knew how much I was struggling. Mm. And I wish I would have taken the time to reach out to other adoptive families and know that that perfection was just a falsehood in and of itself. There was no such thing. There was no such thing as a perfect bond or perfect adoptive mom or mm. perfect circumstance that was going to, that I really had to let that process take place and, and learn to share that out loud. But I didn't. And so we, you know, she wanted an open adoption and that I didn't even know what that looked like because for me, I'd only had letters and pictures. So as a birth mom, so when she wanted visitations, I just, I didn't know how to act. I didn't know. I kind of pushed her away a little bit because I was like, well, why would you want that? That's not going to help your healing process just because it didn't help me. Mm. But for another birth mom, that was exactly what she needed. I just didn't understand that and embrace her and help her in that process as much as I could have because I was comparing her experience with 
my own. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that makes total, total sense. Just looking as an, as an outsider that that would just, that you would have so much empathy for her and be reliving your story through her. So that makes a lot of sense. But man, I can't imagine how hard that, that was to, to relive that so hugely in, in the, in a different way. And to see yourself in your daughter's adoptive parents in in that perspective, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And it was really, it was just a really, again, a really lonely, isolated time where I was grasping for some sense of identity. What does this mean for me? What does this mean for my daughter? What is it? Um, am I disappointing? You know, is my daughter feeling like she's not loved because I haven't reached out to her um, the way that my son's birth mom is reaching out to me? So there's all these fears that were going on that were playing, and I just didn't know how to handle it. Mm-hmm. But that was so the interesting thing about adopting our son is when we brought him home and again the adoption laws at the time were I think I don't think we could cross state um, state lines until a lot of the adoption paperwork had gone through so I was wrestling with these feelings you know in my parents basement in back in Colorado as I was waiting with three young kids too as I was waiting to go back home and so a lot of the stuff was just I just wasn't in my own environment but when we got back home to Oklahoma and we had settled him into our home and I think we had him about oh maybe two or three weeks and we received a phone call and it was my daughter and again we hadn't had any communication or any contact for about 10 years and she it was her adoptive father who had called and her on the phone and they, they just were kind and said, Hey, you know, your daughter has some questions for you. We would love to just, we wanted to visit. We can, we'd love to schedule a visit with you. And I, you know, I was already crumbling with the fact that I was a new adoptive mom and now I have my daughter calling me out of the blue and I wanted to connect with her, but I didn't, I mean, again, I was just, terrified. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's going to come to my house. She's going to see me with this newly adopted son. And what is she going to think? You know, how could I adopt one and then make an adoption plan for her? And so all these fears were coming in, but of course we said yes, because at that point I, enough time had gone by that I knew that it was the time to reconnect with her. And I did push those fears aside and, of course, welcomed her and her adoptive family in the moment she stepped out of that car. I mean, it was just this rush of emotion. And she had this long, beautiful, blonde hair and blue eyes, and she looked just like my boys. And I just embraced her. And so did my husband and welcomed her. And we just, and the boys, you know, for the first time met their biological sister. And going back a few steps, I didn't talk about this, but I hadn't even told my boys that they had a biological sister. I was so full of shame and guilt for that. I didn't know how they would handle it. And I 
remember pulling out like this, this picture of her that I had received from her adoptive mom and calling all the boys into my room and and telling them what it, you know, oh my gosh, I'm going to tell you something. And I was so afraid they were going to get up and, you know, stomp away or slam the door or tell me what a terrible mother I was. And I just said, boys, you know, you have a sister. And they're like, wow, cool. Can we go play our video games now? And they just, you know, left the room. And it just, you know, there's just so much, again, like I put so much pressure on myself. Right. And yeah. I realized that they, they were just, they didn't look at me any differently or see me right. as a monster or see as unloving. I mean, they knew who I was. And so mm-hmm. they were so excited to meet her and just, you know, fought over who would sit next to her at the table. And, um, you know, we had a really great time, but it was really surreal too watching her play with her brothers outside on our backyard, little, you know, play area and wonder, you know, would this have been what our family would have looked like, you know? And again, I think those, those, like I said, those times of grief, grief and loss are triggered in, in those situations. And yeah. I just have to realize that that's something that, you know, again, I kept reminding myself over and over that at the time, this was the best for her. Maybe now it would look totally different. I was in a totally different situation and I, and I kept trying to remind myself that I wasn't in that situation. I wasn't in a time where I could provide and be a parent for her, um, 10 years previously. And, but that's still hard to remind yourself when you're watching them play on your, you know, backyard and you have a home where everybody has their own bedroom and, and, but it was, didn't look that way, you know, years and years earlier. So while it was a beautiful experience to have her in our home, it was so bittersweet and I remember her watching me hold our newly adopted son, and she didn't have to say it, but I just remember her eyes, and I knew what she was thinking. And mm-hmm. at that question, I knew was like, how, you know, why did you give me away, but bring another in? And I just remember not even addressing that question, but just telling her, listen, there's no one that replaces you. There was no no one that replaces you in my heart. You have a permanent place in my heart, and I love you. And I wanted her to hear those words. I said it out loud, and I wanted her to know that nothing could replace her in my heart. Yeah. And so, you know, when she left and went back home, she um, lived in California at the time. It was really hard to say goodbye, of course. Um, just a devastating, just to say goodbye. Every time I said goodbye, I just felt like I was reliving that moment in the hospital every time. But, you know, I just felt at that point, though, that we were going to connect. We were going to have a relationship, and it would continue um, for the years to come. And I was really excited about that. And um, so that was something that I look forward to. She was 12, and while I knew that, you know, it might be another year or two for that she would see her again. I at least knew that we could exchange emails and exchange phone calls. And that was something that I was really open to doing. And I felt that at the time that I had, even though I had fears that I was, I had healed enough to know that that was something that I would want to welcome in my life and do for her as well. Hmm. That's, I, I just love your like awareness of where you were, you know, emotionally, and if you were able to handle that, and also just being able to 
understand in that moment what she was thinking, even though I'm sure you were overwhelmed with what was going on with your state emotionally, but to be able to see her where she was is, is really amazing. Well, it was really hard, like you said, but I really tried to have that awareness and really try to start opening up and start sharing and start not hiding everything inside, but really finding friends and more of a support group around me that I could start sharing these things. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge um, awakening for me to start. And that, and I think that's a process that we have to take in letting go of that guilt and shame is to start talking and being open and sharing and that was a really key point in my life when she came to visit that was the first time where not only I told my boys but I also started telling close friends so that they would know like where I was emotionally and of course you know just because they're not birth moms themselves or adoptive moms it didn't matter I mean they still held their hand out and sat next to me and listened to me cry and and helped me in that time and that's what I needed to do years earlier just took Mm -hmm. me a little longer but Mm -hmm. it was so important for my healing process and to start talking about that I was wrestling being an adoptive mom I mean that was something that I needed to start sharing and um, finding a place and finding a voice for that so that was a huge part of my healing process. The the more I opened up and, and let others in, um, really started that process of making myself whole again. About your process of healing and how you did um, find peace in those moments. Back when you, like when you did make your adoption plan, when you were grieving that, did you have that expectation that the grief would be that intense? No, I had no expectation of that. And I will say the adoption community now is so much more educated about this than they were Mm -hmm. 20 years ago. And there was no follow through or follow up with birth parents. And so it was like I, you know, left the hospital and I was on my own and with that grief. And so... And I didn't mention this earlier, but I literally was just on the floor sobbing for days and days and days. And I didn't, I didn't know how to move forward. And the only thing I could think of to do was to finish school. I mean, I had one year left and I was already a month or two late, but I picked myself up off the floor and I was like, if I don't do something, I'm just going to stay here forever. And I drove, or, you know, my dad drove me back to school and I, back to California and I finished school and I, I just walked back in as a student, but I wasn't just a student anymore. You know, I wasn't just this typical student or all she cared about was studying and, and getting her and getting graduating. I was trying to, to grieve and to understand that loss and to, you know, all alone. And so I really felt like the adoption community today does a much better job of having those support groups for women and, and where I didn't have that at the time. So I didn't, so making peace back then, I remember walking into my campus and it was such a small campus that everyone kind of knew everything. And I, I had to really remember my why and 
I had to go back to the moment when I decided to make an adoption plan for my child. And I knew, you know, all those fears of what does everybody think about me? What is everyone going to say about me? I have no control over that. I have, and and that's not who I am. All those fears that maybe people are thinking or not thinking, it just, I had to remember for myself, why did I choose to make an adoption plan? What were my motivating factors? And for me, there were two, and that was I wanted the best life for my child, and I loved her unconditionally. And I had to hold on to that reason, my why, whenever I was swamped with just self or self-doubt and regret and and know that, that I had to make peace with that, that this is my why. And, and some, some people are going to question my why. And, yeah. But I have to remember that most, most of those critics, you know, don't walk in my shoes. And that my why is unique to me. And I really had to not just know it, but I had to write it. I had to really journal it and write it. What is my why? Why did I make this decision? What were my motivating factors? And there were times that I, a lot of times in that period, that last year of school, where I just had to keep looking at it and journaling and remembering, Hmm. you know, why I was in that place and where I, what I wanted to do with um, the journey that I was on and, and where I saw myself going too. Not only did I do that for my daughter, but I knew I had to do it, write my why down for me so I could move forward. I imagine going like mentoring others. That was a huge step in your, your healing too. Oh, it was a huge step. And again, you know, those, those women at the time were the only people I had told that I was a birth mom because I had kept it from friends and even my boys. And it was healing because I was walking through it with somebody else. And you, when you mentor somebody, I feel like you just, just to kind of come outside of yourself and come outside of your skin and put yourself into someone else's shoes and know that they need you, um, just as much as you need them. Sure. And a lot of times it's, you know, I feel like we're afraid to do that because we're afraid it's going to relive our pain. And in some level it does, but there's such a healing and knowing that you're helping somebody else in the process. And that does in fact help your healing process. Um, the more we share and talk about things and, and it doesn't have to be to a big crowd. It doesn't have to be on paper in an article or an essay form or a blog. I mean, I was not ready for any of that at the time. I just, wanted a private conversation over breakfast, which is what I, I did with these sweet girls and just have a heart to heart. And that was the beginning of, of just embracing forgiveness, um, for myself. I mean, that was something that another way to make peace with those difficult decisions is, is understanding that, that you need to forgive yourself and not even just knowing that, some of these are mistakes, some of them are not, but just forgive yourself for know that you've already been offered forgiveness and to just really accept it. And a lot of these are, you know, for me, it was telling myself, you're a terrible mom, you're not worthy of love, you don't deserve happiness. And I was just constantly beating myself up and asking what kind of a person would give up a child, what kind of person wouldn't bond with their adoptive child. I mean, on and on and on. Right. And, you know, the answer that I had to tell myself, well, well, what kind of a person would give up a child or make an adoption plan is a brave and courageous and loving one. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of mom, um, 
you know, steps in to adopt a child, well, a brave and courageous and loving one. I mean, we make, you know, we sometimes we cling to lies as a way of just coping, but it was neither healthy or helpful in my healing process. And it really, those lies really hindered my growth. And that was another way that caused me to stay stuck in guilt. So I couldn't make peace with my decision until I accepted that grace that said, you know, I didn't ruin my child's life. I did the best that I could. And I, grace also tells me that I can start new today. Um, and grace also tells me there's redemption, you know, in our stories. So I really had to replace that lie or a lot of lies with the truth. I imagine that was like a, a long process of just telling yourself that over and over and reminding yourself of that. It's a lifelong, it's a process that I deal with today, like right now. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's just, it really is. I mean, there's lies all around us and we have to really combat that and just know that, you know, the things that we're telling ourselves and names that we're labeling ourselves with are not truth. And the truth is that we are, I mean, we're brave, we're courageous, we're loving, we're kind, we're um, filled with um, boldness and um, generous. And so we have to just fill ourselves with who we are. And the biggest one, of course, is that we're a child of God. And that covers all, you know, things we need to worry about. But I really had to hold on to that. And I still do to this day to make peace with things that, you know, we have to make hard choices over. Mm-hmm. But another one that I would say is just to know on that going, following up with that, is that we are a work in progress. You know, we're still being molded and shaped on a daily basis. And where we are today in our journey is from grief to healing is not the same person or same place we're going to be tomorrow or even the next day. And I think that healing and finding that peace takes place when you realize you are still a beautiful work in progress. And whether it's placement day, adoption day, whatever, it doesn't define us in those moments where we feel like we are failing and those don't define us as the person we are, wife, mother, friend. I mean, there's seasons, you know, we go through and there's seasons ahead of us that we're not there yet. And we're still working toward that. And, um, you know, I find joy and peace and that simple truth of knowing that I'm still, you know, working and that I have a, that I have a good work that started in me and it's going to carry on. And so when I look back on my journey, I realize that how much I've changed over the years and I can become a more passionate, caring, loving mother and friend and wife because of the heartache that I've endured. And I can be more compassionate and empathetic towards others. Um, Definitely less judgmental, (laughs) definitely more grace-filled than I was before. And those are the lessons that we learn along the way. And they're hard when we go through them. But um, finding peace is also knowing that that we have, that is part of our journey, that we have changed. And there is another side that um, we get to, you know, when we've walked through those. Do you feel like there have been like waves of peace as you keep journeying on? Well, absolutely. I feel that over the years of just, you know, seeking peace and understanding what it looks like I think I had to really come to a place where I need to understand my worth 
and that I don't need to prove myself to everybody, that I don't need to carry guilt as some long-term punishment, that I can give myself permission to live fully and joyfully. Um, I'm not responsible for mending everything that's broken, that, you know, I don't need to buy into what the world has to offer for acceptance and love, but know that, you know, I am loved, I am valued, I am cherished, I'm worthy, I'm beautiful, I'm for, you know, I'm enough. So I don't need to compromise on my worth. And so I think in this process of finding peace, I really have to stand firm in the truth of who I am. And who I am is not living in guilt and shame. You know, who I am is holding myself high and knowing that, you know, I'm doing the the best I can with what I know and what I've learned and what I've gained and know that I am worthy. And that's just something I get to keep reminding myself, you know, in, in these times of doubt and fear and shame that I am worthy, that I am um, a beautiful creation, you know. And I, again, that's something I have to write down, highlight, frame, <laughs> whatever, put on a bathroom mirror, um, because it's, uh-huh. I think it's hard to, you know, we wrestle with doubt all the time and, and the decisions we have to make. And so we always question ourselves, but knowing that, you know, we're doing the best we can with what we know. And we have to remember that. Thank you so much, Adrian, for sharing today. If people want to know um, more about your story or just hear, uh, hear some more from you, where can they find you? Well, they can definitely go to my website, which is www.adriancollins.com. And I'm also on Facebook and Instagram at Adrian C. Collins. Um, and you, you just have such a wealth of information and so many experiences that, that everybody in the triad can glean from. So, so if you're willing, I'd love to have you back uh, for another episode and we can dive some more into to these issues. But thank you for sharing today and, and we really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. And yes, I'd love to come back anytime. So thank you. That's our show this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And remember to enter the contest to win the Adoption Triad Keychain by writing a rating and review on iTunes. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. Yeah.